0: Welcome to the Books We Love, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today we are talking about Neil... Gaiman, all things Neil Gaiman for our special Halloween episode. And today we have a returning guest, Emily Dumas, who is here for our last Halloween because she's the queen of scary stories, our library director. Hi, Emily. And we're also here with Keegan, our head of youth services. Hi. I am not the queen of scary stories. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's okay because Neil Gaiman is the king of scary stories and we'll talk about all of his stuff today. So we read... In preparation for this episode, we read three of his books, "The Graveyard Book, Coraline, and Ocean at the End of the Lane. So we're going to kind of briefly talk about each of those and then talk about Neil Gaiman's contributions in general, what we love about him, what we know about him. So off the bat, what do we know about Neil Gaiman? What did you come in? Keegan, you want to start? What did you come in knowing about him?
1: Um, i this is actually, interestingly enough, the first time I've actually read Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. but I am very aware of him in terms of um, when his stuff has been turned into movies and um- for instance, Mirror Mask um, was um, a film made based on his book Mirror Mask that I watched like a long, long time ago. In fact, I got my my brother like really into that book, and then the very popular TV show Lucifer on Netflix is actually a spin off of the Sandman series, mm. is my understanding. So I'm very aware of him through like pop- popular culture things like that, but I've never actually gotten around to reading his actual books. Yeah.
0: How about you, Emily?
2: Um, well, I realized that I have been pronouncing his name wrong for years. I thought it was Neil Gaiman. Oh. And what's funny is last night, Philip, our assistant director, he said, Oh, who are you talking about on the podcast? And I said, Neil Gaiman. And he's like, Neil Diamond? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Yeah, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> um, but um, you know, what listen. I know about him right, is I'd right. read. <laughs> <laughs> I had read Stardust years ago, and I loved that oh, one too. Um, I'd read Graveyard Book, but this was my first time. And you know, I had seen bits and pieces of Coraline, the movie, mm-hmm. um, but this was my first time reading The Ocean at the End of the Lane and Coraline, and they were just fantastic. What I know about him is he's a huge advocate for libraries. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's pretty famous around our circles because he's such a a big supporter of libraries, especially now when it's kind of been a tough time for libraries. He's really outspoken in support of us. And it comes through in his books, too. He's Mm -hmm. always so positive about libraries when he mentions them.
0: Yes, that's how I knew him, too, is I was like, oh, he's dreamy. He talks about libraries a lot. Yeah, so I think librarians have a real soft spot for him because of that. How about you, Amanda? Um, We did the Graveyard Book
3: with one of my adult book groups, actually, even though it's a middle grade book. Um, We used to do one middle grade and one teen book with the adult book group just to sort of have them be more familiar with what was out there. Um, I loved it the first time I read it. And then I think like Emily, I saw bits and pieces of Coraline. I don't think I ever saw the whole thing. I was going to try and watch it last night and I just didn't have time. But um, I read Ocean at the End of the Lane when it came out because I liked Graveyard Book so much. And I told Olivia before we started recording a couple days ago, I did not reread it for the podcast. I did reread the other two, but not Ocean at the End of the Lane, because last time I read it, it gave me nightmares for three nights, especially (laughs) the worm scene, and I'm I'm not doing that to myself this week while my husband's out of town, so... (laughs)
0: It seems like everybody had kind of like a little bit of an understanding of who Mm -hmm. he was. Maybe read one one or two of his books. That's where I've been too. I read Coraline um, because I had heard that it was so creepy and scary. So I read that years ago just as like curious to see what all the fuss was about. And then I loved him as a pop culture icon and a library supporter. And um, there was one Doctor Who episode that he wrote that I loved, that was so beautiful, and I think actually, I didn't know it at the time because I hadn't read a bunch of his books, but I had. It gave me an insight into the kind of things that make his books so unusual and mm. um, so great. So, so Coraline is—is is it teen or is Coraline like you know? Youth?
3: Um, I looked at Mel yesterday just cur- out of curiosity because some of the libraries I've worked at have it in teen. We happen to have it in J. Fick here, and I think teen. Perhaps, definitely in JFIC. So I looked at Mel yesterday, and it looks like people are mostly lean towards keeping it in the kids' department. There are some libraries that do keep it in the teen department.
0: And Graveyard Book was in the middle school section. Mm-hmm. And then Ocean at the End of the Lane is definitely in the adult section. Yeah. So that actually brings up something I wanted to talk about, which was how these books are similar and how they sort of defy categorizing them in terms of age. Publishers always want to, they market a book f- to a particular audience, a particular mm-hmm. age. And sometimes in libraries that can make things tricky because some books sort of defy categorizing. Some books are written for adults, but they have a child main character uh, or a child narrator. That's the case with Ocean, Ocean at the End of the Lane. Uh, and some books just kind of like Adults might love them. Kids might love them. As a youth librarian, Keegan, how is that a challenge for you in trying to figure out how to make sure books get in the hands of readers who will actually love them?
1: Um, I think it can be really challenging, especially um, because there are a lot of um, children who are advanced readers, and, you know, they're looking for you know, that they've maybe blown through everything already available that they're interested in in our department. And so sometimes it can be really difficult to find something that would be of interest to them, but not above maybe what they're ready for in terms of content. Yeah. I think one of the things, and it's gotten a little bit better in the past few years, but for a long time, I don't think publishers were doing a great job of publishing mysteries for children and teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would get those questions. And it was actually really hard. Um, so, you know, I kind of tried to think of some things maybe in the adult section that would be still appropriate for them. Yeah, that can be really challenging. We would get
0: that question all the time yeah. at the mm-hmm. adult reference desk.
1: And there's also this push, I think, in you know, among certain families who are like really pushing the academics with their children or even in schools where it's like, you have to read at your reading level, you have to read at your reading level. Um, And so there's this push to like, get kids to read at a higher and higher reading level. But at a certain point, like I think that part of just having enjoyment in what you're reading, you Mm -hmm. know, gets overlooked quite a bit. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, um, just because I'm involved in a lot of groups talking about writing, you know, I see on that end of the spectrum, a lot of people who are trying to write because they're trying to write to that same sort of feeling they got when they were a teenager and reading teen fiction, and they're not finding that same level of enjoyment in the adult department, Mm. because maybe like the things in there are like you know, heavier and darker or just not what they're looking for. And there's not that same level of interest. And I think they call it new adult fiction mm-hmm. is becoming a new thing. Right. So I think there's like some blurred lines, especially between teen and adult these days.
0: Well, I think that lends nicely to start talking about graveyard book. So let's start with that. The A brief synopsis is... It's about a boy whose family is murdered, and then he goes and lives in a graveyard, and the dead people take care of him. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's the gist? That is a one-line explanation (laughs) that you nailed it. The ghosts.
2: (laughs) It's a jungle book, but in a graveyard. Yeah, Yeah, which
3: I never thought about that, and then I started researching for the podcast, and he purposely wrote it as such, and that's one of the books he actually recommends you read if
0: you like graveyard book. He said it's the jungle book but for mm-hmm. graveyards oh for ghosts but for ghosts instead of animals yeah
2: i read like a side-by-side comparison of the characters too like mm-hmm. who is who compared to the jungle book Ooh. i've never read the jungle book but i've
3: seen the movie so yeah <laughs> when the orangutan jumped out i slapped my best friend's five-year-old i was
2: like ah it needs to be your halloween episode <laughs>
3: yeah. yikes
2: yeah like
0: terrors <laughs> So what did we think about Graveyard Book? What did you like about it? What were some themes that you thought were important to maybe talk about today? I I guess the reason that I brought it up is because we were talking about reading at a high reading level Mm -hmm. and books for, for kids. I was really impressed by the language that Neil Gaiman used in this book. I thought it was really beautifully written.
2: His language in his books is just beautiful to read. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a common thing that I've, in every one of his books that I've read, even the ones that are for the younger kids like Coraline is they're just beautifully written. Um, I've kind of noticed too, and again, I think ac- at least across the three books that we covered that a common theme is these parental figures, um, It's kind of the scariness, too, of losing parents, whether, you know, they change or they disappear or, in the case of the graveyard book, are murdered. Um, But then, like, you know, these parental figures that step in and help raise this child. But his characters, too, it's very british is mm-hmm. how yes. i describe yeah. a lot of his writing like he he writes these great side characters too that you could see in the graveyard book and the other ones that, that we covered um he's you know kind of got these like oddball characters off to the side and they're they're funny too they kind mm-hmm. of lighten an otherwise
3: pretty dark book yes yeah i'm thinking of scarlet in the graveyard book where she comes into the graveyard and she's like 5 or 6 and her mom's like go down the street and get some fresh air and then she's telling them about you know nobody is the little boy's name he goes by bod She's telling him telling them about meeting him and they just think he's an imaginary friend and then, you know, she gets involved in something in the graveyard and to their to her parents' mind she's missing. And then they when they find her, they start accusing each other of letting her go in the graveyard even though they were both fine with it. I thought that whole scenario was really funny because it's like you were both fine with it. Now you're fighting, now we're gonna move to Scotland. Yeah. So which I'm sure was for the dad's job, but I was like, Was it though?
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah because he wanted to teach particle physics and there are more people that wanted to teach it than wanted to learn it mm-hmm. <laughs> which might be accurate I just, I i'm not a big science person but know, that was interesting how else do, do you think he provides levity in his books because this book is very dark it was i think very bold of him to write it like it's i w- was shocked at the how it began
3: mm-hmm
0: I remember talking
3: about Neil Gaiman with my friend and she, she was super creeped out by Coraline. And then, so I read Coraline for the first time yesterday and I was like, I mean, it's creepy. I think it would have scared me as a kid. I think it's very creepy, especially that button eyes. Um, But I feel like graveyard book is still creeped me out in a big way because of the guy constantly searching for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And just this kind of foreboding. It's funny. He, he flips the tables, right? Like we all have this sense of graveyards. I think in the United States it's kind of this creepy place. All of our horror movies don't help. Um, I'm I'm looking at you, Jason movies. Um, (laughs) so I think he kind of turns the tables and he makes the graveyard, the safe space and everything outside is the unknown and the unsafe, which to me is super fascinating. And so it's interesting. He's made our world terrifying
0: to That's me, so which I think smart. as a kid would
3: have scared me more even than Coraline. So, but as far as levity, there is some of that British dry humor in there that you get from some of the characters and just the little kid relationships. Um, I can't think of the uh, the teacher's name that winds up being the werewolf. Oh yeah. I
1: can't I remember her thing. name. Mrs. Oh, Slavok, I know. Lep- or something.
3: Lepesky. No, Lepeskin. Yeah. yeah. Slavovkin. cut that. I don't even know where the heck that came from. <laughs> Mrs. Lep- Lepeskin or whatever. Uh-huh. She, um, their relationships—it's very much little kid, kind of funny. Where she's feeding him these gross things, and he doesn't want to do it. And he and doesn't. Soup. Oh, the salad, that's dripping with vinaigrette. I was yeah. like, that sounds delicious. <laughs> I <know>. um, <laughs> she, I think, their relationship to me kind of lightened up some scarier situation that's probably coming your way that I won't mention because you're not there yet. And you should.
1: I think one of the things that I thought helped lighten it up was every time um, he comes into contact with one of the other ghosts in the graveyard, he always. Um, cites the yes. years that they, the year that they were born, the year that they died, and then the mm-hmm. um, what was put on their gravestone, the uh-huh. little inscription, <laughs> yeah. like
0: Thomas McFadden, he has gone to glory, eighteen sixty-five <laughs> to nineteen oh-three. I would say the haunted
2: mansion at Disney World, like just. It's lighthearted, Look at a graveyard and goofy ghost and, you know, just the kind of lighthearted, fun side of ghost.
3: Yeah. Something Keegan said about um, kids reading for enjoyment versus just what our parents want us to read so that we keep growing our giant brains was really interesting Mm -hmm. because I came across that yesterday. Neil Gaiman says that... um, We have an obligation to read aloud to our children, to read them things they enjoy, to read to them stories we are already tired of, to do the voices, to make it interesting, and not to stop reading to them just because they learn to read to themselves.
1: Um, speaking of that, the, one of the things I thought was really interesting about the Graveyard book when I was listening to it, I, I listened to it on audio. And by the way, both... I think all three of the books actually were read by Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. He reads a lot um, of In the, the audio books, yeah. And that was really oh, nice. great. But the thing about the Graveyard book is I almost felt like when I was listening to it, that each chapter was a discrete story. So it could be that thing where I almost wondered like, because I thought thought at one point maybe I heard something where some of Neil Gaiman's stories came from like stories he made up to tell his children at night. Mm. Um, So I'm like, this kind of feels like that. Like maybe he created a character and he started just like each night making up a new story to tell his kids. And then he ended up like writing it down. It kind of felt that way because I felt like each
0: it was like a serialized story. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it felt
1: like every chapter could episodic. be its own, yeah, episodic, own individual, discrete little little nugget.
3: If I'm not mistaken, I'm looking right now at my phone, Graveyard Book, if I'm not mistaken, was from, he wrote it from a short story that he had written for something else, and he kind of developed it more, and maybe yeah. in telling it to his kids is how he kind of developed his stories,
1: so. Yeah, could be. The other thing I think I, I really enjoyed about the Graveyard Book is I felt like, because it was told that way, I felt like in every single chapter, Bod learned something new that by the time you get to the end of the story, he needed all of those things. So Mm -hmm. I think it really speaks to, like one of the themes is, you know, that being curious and like like learning because even though he technically had parent figures like looking out for him, he managed to get into a lot of trouble, Mm -hmm. you know, but he, he learned along the way he did some exploring and, you know, his curiosity and, and that ended up being what prepared him for what he needed to do at the end.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. With the parents being gone in this book and in Coraline, she does not seem to have a really close relationship with her parents. And then she meets her other parents in the other room through the door. And I don't remember Ocean at the End of the Lane as much, but just the idea of kids having to solve their own problems sometimes. Um, yes. It kind of reminds me of so many characters like the kids in The Chronicles of Narnia, like Dorothy and The Wizard of Oz, like the kids in Scooby-Doo. Like the adults are absent and the kids are left to solve this situation with some assistance, but mostly on their own.
0: That is true. And then the opposite is true too, where in, an, in the Jungle Book, in, mm-hmm. in this book – in Coraline and a lot of books where kids are on their own they actually end up having more adult figures in their lives because they don't just have their parents watching sure. for them so they have to kind of like have these and I think that speaks to a real need for kids and even just for adults too in our community like the lack of or how in our society we've sort of moved away from like it, yeah, it takes a village sort mm-hmm. of raising and kid. she's just going to say the same
3: thing. Right? And like yeah, the sense kids, of community like, and everybody kind of helps shape you and help you along when your parents aren't available.
1: I yeah. think
0: that benefits kids. Yeah.
1: Well, and, I mean, just to, like, give it a dark turn, I think maybe it's also helpful for kids who have unreliable adults in yes. their lives, um, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the thing. It's like, I feel like something that's not acknowledged, it's just this assumption that the adults in your life are, are going to take care of you. And if you see a child, you're assuming that they're getting all their needs met by the adults in their lives. But for some children, that's not the case.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's totally. Yeah. That it sort of acknowledges that, you know, the kids reading it might have these sort of might need to seek out other adults to help them. Cause their parents might not be there for them. I balked when I first read graveyard book at the beginning, especially cause that first part is so scary. I was like, this is an adult book. But then I, you know, I mean, I don't know that all kids can relate to having their families murdered yeah. <laughs> in their beds. I, I, but. Know, I had
1: a hard time getting into that one, to, yeah. be, to be honest. Um, but, oh, to just jump in and... Talk a little bit about something Emily said earlier um, about how well written it was. Um, something I think we experience a lot in the youth department is we often have adults. Like I think we have one lady in particular who comes in a lot, and she's she started like reading children's books, like children's novels, and mm-hmm. she's just like, I can't believe how well written they are. Yeah, they're yeah. So they've like, gotten good. so good. She, you know, she was just like. Amazed, And then sometimes I'll talk to adults that end up reading the books their children are reading and they're, and they're almost uh, embarrassed to say how much they enjoyed them. I know. Yeah, like,
3: can we normalize reading kids' books yeah, and, and enjoying uh, them and, like, because they're, they're
1: excellent. Yeah, they are well-crafted. And, you know, back to the point about how, you know, some people are having a hard time moving on to like adult books. It's like I think there's, you know, um, a, a certain craft in the storytelling in children's books mm-hmm. that sometimes you don't see as much in the adult spectrum. Yeah.
0: I was going to read it. This leads well into this little part I was going to read. So this, I think, kind of speaks to what Emily was saying about creating levity around death and I think what Mando was saying about the graveyard being a safe place and the real world being the dangerous place. This is a conversation between the main character, Bod, and um, his sort of mysterious guardian, Silas, who um, I haven't finished the book yet, so I don't know what's going on with Silas, but there's something very mysterious about him and um they're sort of arguing about bod wanting to be more in the real world when there's this man sort of hunting him down. So Silas says, um out there the man who killed your family is i believe still looking for you, still intends to kill you. Bod shrugged. "So he said it's only death. I mean, all of my best friends are dead." Yes, yeah, Silas hesitated. "They are, and they are for the most part done with the world. You are not. You are alive, Bod." That means you have infinite potential. You can do anything, make anything, dream anything. If you change the world, the world will change. Potential. Once you're dead, it's gone. Over. You've made what you've made, dreamed your dream, written your name. You may be buried here, you may even walk, but that potential is finished. Bod thought about this. It seemed almost true, although he could think of exceptions. His parents adopting him, for example. But the dead and the living were different. He knew that, even if his sympathies were with the dead. I thought that was so beautiful. And it seemed to be like a sort of encapsulating the theme of, okay, death may not have... I mean, even when I was reading it, I was sort of getting less scared of death. I was like, oh, it's just like hanging out with people on this (laughs) grave, these funny people in a graveyard after. But then there's this part where he sort of emphasizes, no, like life is very important. It might be scary and everything, but you still have this potential to change the world, Mm -hmm. which you give up when you're dead.
1: Again, this is maybe harks back to the whole, like a little bit of a darker take on it is I almost feel like it's a little bit of a metaphor for reaching outside your circumstances that just because you find yourself in a certain place in, which, in this case, he lives in a graveyard uh-huh. um, doesn't mean you don't have opportunities. Bod is in a graveyard. He's like, you know, well, what is death? I'm already here. Yes. I'm, you know, living with all these dead people, but um Silas is encouraging him to reach for something more. Right. So, I almost feel like in this case maybe death or his circumstance living in a graveyard is a metaphor for, you know, maybe any other hard hard situation you might find yourself right. in and reaching beyond it.
0: Right. That's so smart. Coraline or Ocean at the End of the Lane, any preference? Let's do Coraline next. Yeah, Cause, yeah, cuz Ocean at the End of the Lane is it's own thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is that is different. Okay, so Coraline. This is the one I remember the least because I read Coraline a long time ago. So does someone else want to kind of give a little synopsis?
1: Um, so Coraline is a little girl, and they live in um, – It sounds like an old mansion that's, like, been broken up into many different living quarters. And it sounds like both of her parents work from home. And she's very precocious. And her parents are always kind of like, oh, hey, you're bothering me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she starts getting curious and finds a secret passage where there is the other mother. And it's essentially her whole world recreated in this, like, you know, other plane um, where all the characters have buttons for eyes. And at first it seems like very, very wonderful, but then as time goes
0: on, it's a little more sinister. (laughs) Yes,
3: it's a good explanation.
0: So what, uh, so if Graveyard Book talks about, you know, all of these other things that go on with being a young person, you know, having unreliable parents and, you know, reaching out to a new community or feeling unsafe in the real world, or what kind of anxieties or just kid stuff do you think Coraline speaks to or tries to?
1: I almost feel like it's about appreciating what you have.
0: It's got that
3: Wizard of Oz, yeah. Yeah. there's no place like home sort of thing for me. The other mother, at one point when Coraline's trying to get back to her normal world, the other mother's like, well, I, give you, I can give you everything you want here. And, and Coraline says, it's not, I think it was her mom that said that, other mother. She said, it's not really about having all the things you want because you'd be bored all the time. It's just the wanting itself.
0: Which I thought was a really
3: interesting concept for kids.
0: That's interesting to me as That's an adult. Deep, like, right? Yeah, like longing. I'm going to find it. Is just that I think about that a lot. Working towards something and longing for something is more fun than actually getting it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, there's an addiction to the chase yes. in life, you know, where you get those, those, those hormones, those happy hormones going in your brain um, just from like seeking you know, new, new things. Um, totally. I think they did a nice job with the
2: animation in the movie though, as far as like that really appealed to my daughter. I showed her the cover of the book and she's like, Oh, that's ugly. I hate it. (laughs) Um, but she loves the Coraline (laughs) character with the blue hair. Um, Mm -hmm. they made her very cute in the movie. Um, the movie was pretty creepy too, as far Mm -hmm. as the button eyed people. I, I think that was a good one. It translated well to movies. Um, because it was just really creepy imagery it's just like the right amount of spooky for a little kid how yeah
0: how did she like it what were her
2: reactions? oh she loves it yeah yeah um interesting too Coraline in the movie is from pontiac michigan
0: i think really yeah oh. i think i, that. Really? Uh, yeah, I, think I keep, remember
2: that yeah they like they show she has a snow globe of detroit zoo with the polar bears oh, cool. and, really? yeah so oh, it's just fun know, fact yeah. i
1: think she moves to seattle so they're not british I think it might be interesting to also talk about the difference between the book and the movie because I was surprised at how different they were. And in a lot of ways, I almost felt like the movie was a little more rich. Mm. The, the story, uh, the ending was different. Um, also, there was a whole different character in the movie than there was in the book. Wybie. yeah, YB, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, YB was not in the book. He was only in the movie. Okay. Um, My daughter is shipping them, too.
2: (laughs) So she's, like, at an age where she's like, oh, do they have a crush on each other? So I think that that added an element
0: for her. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, you got to have the crush part.
2: Yeah, they
1: added, like, a love interest for Coraline. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, because I watched the movie first. I I watched the movie when it first came out. I'm a big fan of the movie. And so this was the first time – I actually read the book, well, I listened to it while I was gardening. Um, and I was, like, I don't know, I think I was a little underwhelmed just because I had that expectation from the movie. And I think this is one of those cases where um, I think they took a story and they actually really enriched it on screen um, to the point where maybe you could say the movie was better. Yeah. I would say so. I love the stop-motion yeah.
2: animation style. I love the kind of creepy little music in it. Faye and I have been singing that back and forth (laughs) to each other. Um, It was very kind of quiet and cozy, too. That's what I said Mm -hmm. to her. I was like, I like all the pauses in it. They just kind of pause, and I think that's just the animation style. It kind of Mm -hmm. reminds me of, like, Nightmare Before Christmas.
3: It's the same director, yeah. Oh, is it? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You can tell. Henry Selick did Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach, Wendell and Wilde, and uh, Coraline. Wow. All those movies.
0: I saw a lot of Roald Dahl in the um, Neil Gaiman style of writing, too. Yes. Yeah, Did you yeah. think that, too?
3: Yeah. Just the
2: child characters, the surreal experiences, the kind of terrifying, balanced with lighthearted and funny. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, I don't know, like, um, the, I mean, it makes sense that, like, James and the Giant Peach was okay. the same director, because I think I'm also thinking of the movies and how they kind of look similar, too. Yeah. So they, they both translated
0: well to that style. Yeah. James and the Giant Peach is another one where the kid ha- is raised by a group of weirdos. You know? <laughs> love <Weirdos>. that <laughs> It's so good.
3: I think between Roald Dahl and uh, Neil Gaiman, I, there's, you know, we talked about community and that's definitely there in both. But there's also the sense that I think when we're little, little kids, we believe that every adult is a good adult. Yeah. And in both James, well, James and the Giant Peach, he's got the awful ants, right? And then in Neil Gaiman, it's the parents that don't give her enough attention. So it's the idea that sometimes adults let us down as Mm -hmm. well was the connection between the two for me. Yeah. Can I read this quote? I found it finally. Oh, please. Okay, so this bad guy is telling her all the things that she could have if she stays in the other world. And she's like, oh, and I could have this. And he's like, yes, and you'll have this. And everything is perfect, right, versus her own real life where everything is not and Coraline sighs and says, "You really don't understand, do you? I don't want whatever I want. Nobody does, not really. What kind of fun would it be if I just got everything I ever wanted, just like that, and it didn't mean anything? What then?" Start <laughs> yeah. it's our deep thought for the day, friends. That's a good one. And you, definitely, there's Charlie a part around.
1: Coraline that makes me like it, and it's not really accurate, but it makes me think of Stranger Danger. Yeah. Even though, like the other mother, like looks like her mother and everything, but it's it's also I think kind of like maybe just a reference to the fact that sometimes um, adults are not impeccable with their word in terms of what they're promising you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially at the end of Coraline, the other mother plays the game and and promises that if Coraline wins, she can go. She'll let her go back but we know that the other mother goes back on her word mm-hmm. um so you know it's kind of I think almost a note too that um adults are not always honest and telling the truth as as well yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's a good lesson too that the grass isn't
2: always greener mm-hmm. because you know at first I was just watching the movie. I'm like, oh, I would want to live with the other parents because they <laughs> cook her those delicious meals. They finally pay attention to her, mm-hmm. but then slowly that all starts to deteriorate. Which I think does. How often does that happen in real life where you think a situation is going to be so much better and then you get there and you start living in it and you're like, oh, this is yeah. not what I expected, and mm-hmm. the facade falls away. And
3: yeah. Do they keep the past children in the movie? Yes. Okay. And and yeah, I need to watch the movie just next week. Yeah. yeah. Can't do it this week. Yeah. yeah yeah, and she has to free
2: their souls
1: yeah yeah kind of like not everything is always what it seems to be Mm -hmm. to
0: to question what is being presented yes yeah that's a really good theme that Uh, those are two themes in that one it's that wherever you go there you are thing where oh everything's going to be better in this other reality that i've created and then also yeah you know, trust, but verify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like, too, that the parents, well, the mom at least,
2: kind of stayed exasperated at the end. Like, it wasn't yes. a perfect ending, kind of like, you know, with vibes <laughs> we talked about yeah. where everybody hugs and everything. The mom yeah. still seemed kind of, like, she was better, but just kind of overworked and tired. Yeah. And she just, she still seemed annoyed by everything. And I kind of liked that there wasn't, you know, she suddenly became a different mom. She's kind of the yeah. same mom, but I think Coraline appreciated her a little more now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Those yeah. parents, though, they were like the original work-from-home
0: parents. You know, I was wondering, I think they were writing a brochure or something. Yeah. That's so boring. Amazing. That's like the boringest thing a kid could think of, yeah. like, <laughs> writing a brochure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, your family is a mixed bag, and you just kind of got to take the good, unless it's real bad. Mm-hmm. And then you go live with the bugs and the peach or the ghosts in the graveyard. Yeah. I think her her parents are kinda like with normal. Button eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Those button eyes were creepy. But yeah. I think her
2: parents are kind of just like normal bad parents to a kid. I yeah. mean, I don't want to say bad parents, but just like normal, like overworked, overwhelmed parents. Yeah, kind of like a situation a kid could probably relate to. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm gonna tape. Well,
3: button.
0: I've seen our parents like that at some point. <laughs> yeah,
3: right. tape buttons over my eyes. And come in your <laughs> office and be like,
0: "Hi, Olivia. What is it? Is it that they're sewn, or is it that they're just dead? They take their eyes." Okay. Yeah.
3: yeah, I took it as like you know when people die, and he, at least here in the United States, you know if you go to a funeral home, they stitch your eyes closed. So I kind of that was my connection, just the like yuck, real sorry, Olivia's making gagging faces at sorry, me. But I didn't seriously, know that. I'm just proud. You didn't know that? No. Oh yeah. Everything. Your hands are sewed together, your mouth is and your eyes are <laughs> if they don't, you know what happens? Your muscle jerks after you die you will you, people's eyes used to pop open. That'd can you
0: terrifying. imagine if
3: you're like praying at Here's their cask you. and all of a sudden it's like, you can cut all of this is yeah. terrifying. <laughs> cutting it. Anyway.
0: No, this is the Halloween episode. You can you do that? Mary
3: Roach book stiff where she talks about all those things? Yeah. 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 Well,
0: well too, I
1: wonder if like there's they're kind of almost saying in Coraline, I think that the eyes are the soul because she takes their eyes. Oh.
3: Mm. you went super deep.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But they had a target, the little Coraline doll with the button eyes. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we found it on a shelf, and it was actually
1: like, kind of cute. Yeah, <laughs> like, do you remember the um, the dolls when you were little with the eyes that would like open yeah. if you like set them up? Like, yeah, yeah I had a friend that was terrified of those dolls uh, rightly
3: so
0: <laughs> they're creepy i remember my grandma brought me back uh she went to amish country and she brought me back nope. one of their dolls and they don't have faces that no. terrified me i drew a face on i mine. drew a face on mine yeah. with a pen yeah i drew a face on it no. yeah. it feels like it's waiting for you to draw a no. face on it
3: Feels like it's waiting for it to kill you while you're sleeping. (laughs) I would like bury that thing in the backyard with a crucifix on top. What
1: is it about dolls? Yeah, well, terrifying. When I was a kid, my mom loved horror, and this is probably why I'm not the queen of horror. Yeah, (laughs) or like scary stuff, because my mom loved watching scary movies, and like she didn't care if I was in the room, and it would freak me out. So my mom loved like the Friday the Thirteenth, the Chucky movies. All of those. So I saw them, like, when I was in elementary school because my mom was watching them. And I'm like, turn them off. And she's like, no, I want to watch them.
0: Rude. (laughs) No.
1: Yeah, my daughter is really, like, she's seen Chucky
2: and she's really wanting to know more about Chucky. <laughs> Something about him fascinates kids.
0: <laughs> She's like, go on. Tell me what motivates What's him. What's his backstory? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well.
2: There were these dolls in the 80s, and it was basically like baby dolls for boys. Yeah. It was kind of how they were marketed, <gasps> and they're called My Buddy. My Buddy and
3: Me. My, my Buddy and Me. <laughs> my husband talks about his mom
2: bought him sister. and his brother one. He got the brunette, and his brother got the blonde one, and they buried them in the backyard because <laughs> <laughs> they were so creeped out by them.
3: Rightly but so. They're probably still Again. in their backyards <laughs> it was kid's sister and my buddy. Yeah, I want a kid sister. <laughs> Do you remember Teddy Ruxpin speaking oh, yeah. about something popping its eyes open and then having it talk with its little furry mouth? I was like, absolutely not. No, thank you, Mr. Yeah. Potato Head, for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, dolls are creepy. There's just something about it. It's like. Anything that looks like a person but isn't quite, mm-hmm. like a clown or like yeah. a yeah. mannequin. Mr. Potato Head when
3: you put its face on.
0: There's yeah. a
1: word for that to, for for like um, when things are supposed to like look like they're human but aren't. There's like a word for it, like the feeling you get. Oh, really? Yeah. Let me see if I can find it. Um, That's perfect.
2: Too. Well, she looks like this one. I just want to ask, has anybody ever seen Robert the doll?
0: Uh-oh. No.
2: I, I never I'm wanted Googling to. It, it was one of those things. I don't know if you should look it up, Olivia. Okay. I felt like I, but I it popped up on a screen, like on my TV when it advertises shows on Discovery Plus, and I finally saw him and I was so freaked out, but what? it's a haunted doll. <gasps> they keep it in, I think, Key West, Florida. It's in a museum and weird stuff always happens. Oh, that's
3: like the re- that movie Annabelle is based on a yeah. real doll that there is in Connecticut. Yeah.
1: Okay, so um, according to scientificamerican.com, it's called the uncanny valley. It's a metaphor that suggests that a human appearance or behavior can make an artificial figure seem more familiar for viewers, but only up to a point. The sense... Uh, viewer familiarity drops sharply into the Uncanny Valley once the artificial figure tries but fails to mimic a realistic human.
3: I feel like we need to write a book called The Uncanny Valley.
1: <laughs> There's a really I mean, great Black Mirror episode about that where really? the woman, her husband, passes
2: away and she gets a robot replacement for him. No. And yeah, it was a very disturbing episode.
0: Ocean
3: at the end of the lane.
0: Okay, um, Ocean at the end of the lane, I'm going to be very upfront with you and say that I... At when I, f- I read it too close to bedtime when I first read like the first few parts and had nightmares, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to read this. And then I started reading it the next day, and I was supposed to go out to dinner the later that night, and I canceled because I needed to read the book. I was like, I guess I love Neil Gaiman, I guess is what <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. like love his books. And I can talk a little bit about why I liked it, but what did you think about it? What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? I struggled really, really
1: hard. So I listened to this one on audio too, and I struggled so hard. Like it really got my anxiety going where I, I, I didn't know if he was going to escape from her, like her and like.
0: Like, oh, okay. Well, we should say yeah, a synopsis. Yeah, let's, let's say quick. the synopsis first. So the main character, it's one of those books that's like a flashback. So the main character returns to his sort of childhood home, he's not sure why, after a death. But the, I don't think they specify.
1: Was it his dad? I think
0: it his was, parents? but I actually
2: read it. I looked it up as one of those things I was so curious about, and Goodreads had a discussion. And everybody thinks it's a dad, but they never say on purpose.
0: Okay, so he has like a significant death. He returns to his childhood home where something odd had happened. And then it flashes back to him as a child. Um, And a lot of stuff happens. It's hard. I don't know. Um, I guess you could say, like, his family is sort of overtaken by an evil kind of spirit of some kind. She kind of infiltrates. And um, he works with some neighboring sort of mysterious witches to fight back.
2: And it's all kicked off mm-hmm. by a suicide that seemed yes. to be greed. Triggered by greed, almost. Um, and I think that that had something to do with it. I almost felt like they were kind of purposely vague, which I liked. That you were mm-hmm. never really unclear or clear on what was going on, why was it happening, but it was happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. And you kind of knew it was all related. And he said that at one point, like, this all started because the opal miner was the guy mm-hmm. who committed suicide at the beginning. Yes.
0: And the opal miner, I think he... I think he had run into, like, debts or something, right? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, gambling, I think. Gambling, debts. Yeah, I
2: think he just lost all his money. And then there was weird stuff started happening with money. Remember Mm -hmm. money kept showing up for people?
0: Yeah, someone's trying to give you money, but they're doing it really badly.
2: Yeah, so I think his suicide, whatever it did, it opened some vortex, it seemed like.
0: Okay, so this is a a book that's written for adults. So there's adult stuff in here. I think that's pretty clearly not the kind of stuff that we would have seen in Graveyard Book or Coraline. There's sex in it. There's suicide, blatant, like dead body Mm -hmm. suicide in it. And um, child abuse. Child abuse. Mm -hmm. But the narrator or the main character is a child for the most part, which what does that do? How did you feel about that? Is that what gave you anxiety the most, Keegan?
1: Can you remind me? What's the main character's name? I'm sorry. completely blanked. Did they ever say it? I can't remember either. You unnamed know. protagonist.
3: Oh, oh that's why. Oh,
1: okay. So then there was Letty Hemstock, and then oh, Ursula Moncton was the. Yeah, he has great thing. names. Can we talk
0: the about thing. how great his names are? Oh, yeah, great names, great names. So Keegan had a, you. You were too affected by this. Your anxiety was yes, spiking. It
1: was. It was really bad. So the part at which um, the evil entity um, in the shape of Ursula Moncton is in the house and has this level of control. And is also influencing his father to, like, drown him almost in the bathtub. Um, And he's trying so hard to get away. Like, there was, like, a point at which I'm like, is he going to get away? And I don't know. For me, you know, like, maybe this is too personal. But it it just harkens back to sometimes feeling very powerless when you're a child. And I have a little bit of experience with that. And, you know, just, like, wanting to escape that situation and, like, not really – knowing how, and so I, it really upped that level of anxiety for me, and it wasn't until he finally got to, back to the hemstocks, that I was finally (laughs) able to just relax. Yeah,
0: I mean, it Mm -hmm. is an anxiety inducing book, and that theme of having a child protagonist who's imperiled immediately ups the stakes for Mm -hmm. readers. I was reading a little bit about fairy tales, because this all of his books kind of remind me of those like dark sort of grim fairy tales. Yeah. And apparently they were first written for adults, mm-hmm. like fairy tales were for adults. And then um, they became sort of morality lessons for children. Like Red Riding Hood was sort of a morality tale for kids to avoid sexual predators. Like the wolf was supposed to be a, like mm-hmm. a, and it, it made me think about that and how if you're going to write a scary story, like so many scary stories have young people as, as protagonists because they are so powerless, you know, and they they are often not believed by adults, and that's a huge theme in this too. Like the kid keeps trying to tell his parents that this Ursula Monkton is evil, and his parents don't believe him. It just makes you so frustrated. It makes everything in the story more intense. Mm-hmm. And also, mm-hmm. he was seven. He was little. He was seven. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's Old very young. young. Graveyard book, he was a toddler. He toddled out of his... Yeah, yeah. He was like 18
3: months, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's young mm-hmm. <laughs> to be the protagonist. Yeah, and then it story. goes up to, in the graveyard book, I think... He's he, 15. He, yeah,
1: he was only 15. When he's sent out into the world. <laughs> Here's your passport. Bye.
3: I okay. <laughs> <laughs> was well, like, today, at least give him some cash and like tell him... Okay, so this is how a train station works.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, he didn't know anything. He really didn't. Just what he got from books. Yeah, just what he got from books. Yeah.
3: Maybe they got him like a um, Frommer's guide to Seattle or something. Where like <laughs> I'll take you to the airport? Yeah. Lonely Planet. What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. No, I can completely understand your anxiety around this, Keegan. Yeah, it was very hard for me. I, I really had
1: to push through on that one. <laughs>
0: How did you feel about Ocean at the End of the Lane? Did you get a chance to read it?
1: Well, um, I
0: felt a little differently. Um, it ha- didn't scare
2: me as much as some other stories. And that's not a criticism because I absolutely loved it. But I think I felt so comforted by the hemp stocks that yeah. once he got Bloody. back with them, I was so relieved. And I love their attitude. Of, they're just like, oh, poo, you know, don't worry about her. Like, I just love the way they talked down to these people that had terrified him. And, yeah. you know, they, I mean, the, her view on, I forget which, Which member of the family said it, but like, oh, she's not evil. She's just doing what she does. And she's just, it was kind of weird that their take on it was she was trying to give people what they want. I was was thinking, did his dad want to drown him in the bathtub? I I started thinking about that. Oh, that's creepy. I think his dad wanted to have that affair and he wanted to drown him in the bathtub. And I think they alluded to the dad already having affairs too. It was just this one line about like his pretty secretary. secretary, Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah. So I think that she was like, I was like, that's horrible. he He wanted to kill his kid this whole time. Time. Maybe it was just like you know, it, like it manifests in this like really horrible way when she's around. But you know, like all his frustrations. But. but
3: I mean, I listen to a lot of true crime and read a lot of true crime, and that's one of those things. Sometimes people want that clean break, and they yes. they'll kill the spouse, oh, yeah. and then they find a way to get rid of the kids. I'm thinking of that mom most recently. That it's
2: family annihilators, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's
3: just
0: there's so there's kind of a touch of that.
2: <sighs> yeah, I wonder if you would have gone after the sister
0: too. I wonder if it was just a really amped up version of what I assume most parents feel when their kid's driving them crazy and it's yeah. sort of like this understandable, like, like you are, in real life, obviously, most people wouldn't act on it, mm-hmm. you know, where we have self-control, but, like, Connie always says, kids, bring into to your knees, like, you're just like... <sighs>
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I almost feel like Ursula maybe took everything to an extreme. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, I, I kind of love that they never really explained what she was, what the hemstocks were. Mm-hmm. I've read, reading yeah. the theories about it on Goodreads is pretty interesting too. Mm-hmm. I love stories where people are as old as time Yeah, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Just the idea of that, that these wise women who were there since creation, um, I think that's just such a cool concept. But just like how knowledgeable they all were about everything and how unconcerned (laughs) they were about Mm -hmm. these horrible things happening was and I if it's okay if I give a spoiler for the ending um I love that he had been there over and over again yeah like I actually got kind of emotional at the end reading it too I wasn't expecting to but it kind of gave me almost like a tuck everlasting vibe Mm -hmm. if you've ever read that story but just that you know that like time isn't moving for them, but it is for everybody else. Right. And I love that, you know, he thought every time he went there that it was and he was always coming there when he was troubled too. Mm-hmm. Um yes. that, you know, like life had gone on for him, but he was still waiting for Letty too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does make you wonder when she's gonna come back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You brought up the their attitude that was so confident and so unafraid. And I remember when I read Coraline, I thought that too. Coraline All of the scary things happened around her, but and it would have been an insufferable book if she had fallen apart and panicked every Mm -hmm. single time something Mm -hmm. scary happened. But Coraline was very matter of fact and no nonsense, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cool customers. Yeah. And that a kid was so confident too, Letty and Mm -hmm. Coraline. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. It makes you feel comforted. Like if they're not panicking, then maybe that helps the reader not panic.
2: I still think the mom and the grandma shouldn't have let Letty take him out, though, because it <laughs> really started a lot of trouble. I think she was, like, probably to them, still a child, you know, as far as, you know, she was probably a lot younger, even though it may have been thousands of years, you know. Yes. Um, but that she was still the child to them, and I don't think she knew as much as the elder women.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you can always get me with, like, a little witch family of ladies living yeah. together being witches. I'm going to read it no matter what. I'm yeah. going to like it. I
2: like how the men just went off into the world to find their fortunes, and they get postcards from them.
0: (laughs) Dream, that's the dream. Um,
1: I think it was also kind of enchanting too. Like um, in this in the story, he talked about how um, like on a certain side of the house at the Hemlock Hemstocks farm, it was the full moon, so that you know there's enough light to go down like the stairs or whatever. And I think that just reminds me of the fact that I think all three of these books have. You know, one of the themes they have is that you know, kind of, there's this veneer over the world, and that maybe we're like, you know, not everything as is as it seems, and maybe there's a little bit more to our perceptions. Yeah, um, there's more going on than just what we're perceiving. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that is a theme in his books. Yeah. So speaking of of him as a person, Amanda, do you have some facts? I do. Okay,
3: so what I learned about Neil Gaiman: short, sweet. Um, so he was born in Hampshire, uh, England, but he currently lives in Minnesota. Did you know Oh, that? Hmm.
2: We should go on a road trip. I yeah, know. We good. should. Yeah. So i what's in Minnesota. I read that too. And yeah, <laughs> was like, why Minnesota? I
0: yeah.
3: He wanted to be close to where Prince was from. <laughs> I
0: think he'd make us tea. Don't you think he'd live in like a little ramshackle house that's all like green with wallpaper And I want to think
3: it would, it would be like. Yes, it would look like that on the outside, but then you'd go through like the front door uh-huh. and it would actually open into this courtyard, and his real house would be inside and it would look like a hobbit house. And <laughs> yes. here's why. When he was a kid, he read a lot of C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, Edgar Allan Poe, Ursula Le Guin, uh, many others. He self describes as a feral child who was raised by libraries. So shout out to libraries everywhere. We love those um, kids. He began as a journalist. His first um, major success came with the Sandman series, which they called a comic at the time. We called a graphic novel now. Um, He has won a lot of awards, including the World Fantasy Award, a Hugo Award, a Nebula Award, Bram Stoker Award, Newbery Medal, Carnegie Medal, Ray Bradbury Award, and an Eisner Award for his graphic novels. He has done everything. He reads his books, so he's done audio. Um, His books have been made into movies, TV shows. He's written for all ages. He has picture books through adult books, as we discussed. So we didn't discuss any of his picture books, but he's got... I want to say at least eight or 10 picture books. So he kind of does it all. Um, a couple read alikes really quickly, if that's okay, Olivia. And then mm-hmm. I want to end with a really great quote from him, if that's okay. Yep. Um, some quick read alikes. I know we mentioned a couple in the podcast, but for Graveyard Book, obviously, uh, The Jungle Book would be a good one. Um, I used Novelist, and they re- recommended The Ghost of Crutchfield Hall by Mary Hahn Downing or Lockwood and Company series by uh, Stroud. He also recommended, if you like, the Graveyard Book, Jungle Book, as we mentioned, and Diana wynne Jones's books. Mm. I think most people know her from um, Howl's Castle, oh, yeah. Yeah. Castle which yeah, was turned good. into a movie. Um, Rita Likes for Coraline, the Books of Elsewhere series by Jacqueline West, The Night Gardener by Jonathan Auxier, and Doll Bones by Holly Black. Yeah. And then for The Ocean at the End of the Lane, Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury, The Crane Wife by Patrick Ness, and Fire and Hemlock by Diana Wynne-Jones. So we kind of full circle back to her. Quick quote, and you can find this article on Google. It's called Neil Gaiman, Why Our Future Depends on Libraries, Reading, and Daydreaming. And it was from The Guardian in 2013. So this is, you know, 10 years ago. But he said during a speech, I was once in New York and I listened to a talk about the building of private prisons, a huge growth industry in America. The prison industry needs to plan its growth. I'm sorry. The prison industry needs to plan its future growth. How many cells are they going to need? How many prisoners are there going to be 15 years from now? And they found they could predict it very easily using a pretty simple algorithm based on asking what percentage of 10- and 11-year-olds couldn't read and certainly couldn't read for pleasure. It's not one-to-one. You can't say that a literate society has no criminality, but there are very real correlations. Just something to think about.
0: That's really good. Cool. importance of reading. Interesting. Powerful.
3: Powerful stuff. Go Neil Gaiman. Go Neil Gaiman.
0: So, Neil Gaiman, please invite us over to your ramshackle magical hobbit house. Thank you. And we'll be there for bring tea. Thank you guys for doing Thanks it. for joining Thank Happy Halloween, everybody. Thank Happy Halloween. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library you can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at TroyPL.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at TroyPL.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.